look at the spectacular finish. <laughs> and the Jordan. was a near impossible shot over Carr. Antoine Carr is beneath the basket, stunned. Okay, hello everyone. My name is Cole McGee. I'm the youth pastor here, and we are at Redemption Church. Well, I'm not at Redemption Church, but I'm youth pastor at Redemption Church. And we are going to be talking about uh, The Last Dance episodes three and four in review. And I'm here with a normal cast of no last names, but just first names. Nick, Joel, and Avery. Uh, last week, guys, well done. By the way, I got a lot of uh, compliments on the the podcast last week. So well done, everyone. How'd you guys feel about everything last week? It was I great. liked it. It was, it was good. Good time. Good, good. Well, I am glad that you guys are back and willing to do it again, and you're not completely scared off by um, this whole process. And in fact, this probably was the easiest audio issue. It was like all the audio issues were on my end this time. You guys were like on it. You were here on time. I'm the one that had the problems, so that's interesting. But episodes three and four of The Last Dance um, have aired, and overall, I want to hear, what did you guys think of these two episodes as opposed to the last two episodes? Um, anybody have any thoughts on that? Um, uh, I liked it better, but I've heard some of you guys say you didn't, but I liked it better just because it was a lot more action. There's a lot more gameplay. I love seeing the old fitted, the fitted film but yeah i mean the hype of the first two is untouchable but i like i like these they were good you like the old game footage yes i love watching how old people play and the triangle offense that's so interesting we're gonna talk about this we're gonna talk about the old footage because i have a lot of thoughts on this old footage and i have a lot of thoughts on well we're gonna we'll get into it we're gonna do it but joel avery what'd you guys think i felt Uh, like the last two were more interesting than the newer two Oh really? The first, the, like episodes one and two? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, why is that? Explain that. I don't really know the first two. I didn't really know what was gonna like what was gonna be talked about in them. Right. So it was more interesting to me. Oh, so it was all fresh and new. And this one, you kind of you got it was just an extension of the same themes. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Good, Joel. Oh hey, what's up? Sorry, I was talking to my dad. Oh, that's okay. Uh. No, yeah, I think I d- he might still be talking to us. No, I'm not anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, the first two episodes were definitely I liked more for some reason. I don't I don't really know why. I just think I thought me personally, I didn't like the whole Phil Jackson thing. I didn't I don't care to be honest. Like I get that he's a good coach, but I didn't want to know his background. Is he is he a good coach? I don't know, dude. You just gave the Whatever. ball to Michael. <laughs> but I mean, that's what everyone. I mean, what, what would you do that? Duh. Of course. But, uh, well, what's crazy actually, he is this. This episode showed us that he, he didn't really he give the ball to Michael. I guess it's he true, told him yeah. like use your other players. He made him with text. Could you imagine what he could have done if he would have given the ball to Michael? No, I, I, that yeah, he I, I think put that'd up be twenty more shots a game. That's true. <laughs> would have became what Kobe was. We're gonna we are gonna talk about that because I think that is interesting, especially as you build a program and a system. I always give you know Phil a bunch of crap because I feel like you really do you just roll the ball out and let let those guys go. But you know, in some ways, his leadership and, and player management it, it's pretty impressive. I mean, dealing with Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, and Scottie Pippen, who you know is kind of a 
trying to get a, a, an NBA all-star slash Hall of Famer and Scottie Pippen to take a secondary role. You know, I like that. That is a lot of work to manage all those personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have thoughts on that? <laughs> Dennis Rodman, I like, I love that. I love the whole, like, he was on the bad boys and he was like beating the crap out of Jordan and Pippen. And then he comes to play with them and they're like this unstoppable trio. But he like accepts his role of being like, I'm gonna like just get rebounds and he go, just gets like, boards hard. all day. Yeah, because in it, in college he was putting up points. Like they said, he was averaging like 27 and 10. So like that is weird. I'm sure he could have put up some points if he like really wanted to, but he just like said no. I'm gonna do what I'm best at. Is it weird to you that Rodman's like six six? Well, I mean, everybody in the NBA is six six now and then. Well, I know, but you would think like Ben Wallace with the Pistons was like six nine, six ten. Yeah. Demarcus Cousins, who might be the best rebounder in the past, you know, five years, was like seven foot tall. Yeah. Rodman's six six. It's just so weird. It was so I- interesting to hear like when he was talking about how he would just have his buddies shoot and he would practice reactions and stuff. That's probably why he got so many boards is he knew oh, hearing him describe his mental process and just rebounding. I'm like, wow, I, I don't think, I don't I think I've ever really learned how to rebound. Started talking. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> I know. Okay. Let's get, let's get into it then. And you guys jump in, whatever. We're just going to go through this. Episode three begins with Rodman. I did not know how the episode was going to begin or what this episode was even going to be about. I thought it was just going to be about the Pistons. I should have thought that it was going to be about Rodman. But Rodman starts off, and I'm, as soon as I see Rodman on episode three, I just think to myself, yes, let's do this. And he <laughs> says this line, and we, we haven't even gotten to the intro yet, but he says this line, and he says, I created this monster, talking to himself. I created this monster. Now I have to live with it. And as soon, and then the intro started, and I was like, oh my goodness, here we go. We're going to get into like the what's going on behind the scenes of Dennis Rodman, who, by the way, you guys might not know this, but when Rodman was at the Spurs, I mean, he, I remember when he would, he would just have, he was almost like the social media attention seeking, uh, you know, social media celebrity YouTube star who does crazy stuff just to get attention. He was one of the first ones to, I don't know, sell out to the media and the media hated slash loved him. And every, like all of our parents hated Dennis Rodman. They all thought he was like the most grossest human being on the planet. But everyone in like middle school and high school was like, I love Dennis Rodman. He's got, he's actually kind of cool. It was so weird. <laughs> um, so I, I think Rod, Rodman is the most fascinating side plot of this whole documentary for me, because I want to know about how in the world he integrated into the team. And I, and throughout my notes, throughout this, this episode, I just kept saying to myself, why is Rodman the way he is? Like I've seen the clips of him with the Pistons. He was fairly clean cut. I have. And then what, what happened? Madonna. I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. Madonna. What do you mean Madonna? Madonna created Dennis Rodman. The part where they were talking about like, he was an innocent dude on the Pistons or whatever. Like he was like a normal or fairly normal human being. And then Madonna and him started like dating and she like inspired him to like yeah. let go and like give in to whatever like creative freedom that he wanted to. <laughs> and then from that point on, like 
He was dyeing his hair. He was doing all sorts of crazy stuff, wearing velvet hats. Like, what? <laughs> Let me just tell you, that dude had some drip. Yeah. <laughs> Did he? Is he? Uh, does he? I love no. the hair. <laughs> you love the hair? Avery? I love the hair. I liked his hair. See, this is this is what happens. Like when I was young, I remember looking at Rodman, and I was never allowed because, like, he would come on the screen, and I would, my mom would li- uh, visibly, like, shriek and just be like, Bleh. and I. That's what I, I do when I going, see Tom Brady. Yeah, same, same, actually. Okay, so I want to I want to talk a little bit about um, Rodman. That there's a few things that they said. Rodman is the best on-ball defender in 30 years. This I think this was uh, Phil Collins who said this. Um, Rodman is the, no, no. It was one of the reporters. He said in this time covering the NBA. That's right. That's yeah, right. Rodman is the best on-ball defender in 30 years. That I thought that was. Fa- I don't. I don't. I always thought of him as a rebounder. You know, I never really thought of him as much more than that. But. Uh, I do have a question, and this is this is I'm trying to be sensitive here because I, I want to know. They talked about Rodman, how he would just get bored in the game. And if he was into the game, he played really hard. And if he wasn't into the game, he wouldn't play very hard. And here's my question about Rodman. I read an article about Andrew Wiggins, and the article was trying to say that Andrew Wiggins has this thing where he will fade from games. And if you give him the ball he will stay locked in. But if you don't give him the ball, he just loses attention and interest. And they said that they, the article was saying that Andrew Wiggins suffers from pretty crippling ADD that in the game, he can't stay focused and he just drifts off. If he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And my question is, do you see a little bit of this with Rodman? Does, do you think that in some way, then how much of that do you think factors into sports? And a lot of players have this thing where if they don't get the ball or they're not into the game, they'll just drift off. What do you guys think about that? That's a hundred percent true, dude. Yeah. I mean, that, that could happen all the time in pretty much any sport. If no action is happening or if you're just sitting there and nobody's passing you the ball or anything, it's so easy to drift off, especially when there's freaking thousands of fans and anything to look at. Except oh, people yell yeah. exactly. Like it's so easy to get distracted. I could totally I ne- see that. I've never mm-hmm. considered that as a factor in why players function the way they do. My, my, for Joel, Joel, you played baseball. Yeah. I, I mean, I played baseball. I played baseball in college. I love baseball, but I can willingly admit to you, if there is times in the in baseball where there is nothing going on, exactly. And staying focused is actually a skill in baseball. Yeah. How do you think that affects? players who play baseball uh if i was an outfielder for my whole baseball career i would not have lasted that long you stand out in the grass field and maybe get two pot flies a game if you're lucky like that's why i like pitching so much is because i control the game like i have the ball every single like minute i'm on the field but like you can just like you can go the whole game without touching the ball. Like there's no guarantee that you're going to get the ball that whole game. It's just like you could, I have several times been in different worlds while I'm standing on the field and then boom, the ball comes to me. I'm just like, Oh yeah, I'm doing something. Sure. Avery, what about you? Like the sports you play, how does that affect you? I know that happened to me when I did soccer or like if 
I was just like sitting out. I would just, I would get so distracted. And the coach is like, Avery, pay attention. Yeah, and you're like, how my... in the world am I supposed to pay attention? Nothing's happening. Yeah, it was my mom too. So <laughs> <laughs> she was... she's like yelling at you. Yeah. That's awesome. So I, and so th- something else happened in when they were in the documentary, they're talking about this. And I feel like I see this a lot with my own struggles with attention and other people and also other people that I know who struggle with it. Rodman seems to learn. He seems to learn by finding the boundaries and feeling pain. When he feels pain, it really then sinks into him. Um, the you know that's how he kind of learns about himself and what to do. So like, there's that scene where he gets kicked out of a really big game, and he goes back in with Jordan, and he has a cigar with him. Do you remember this? Yeah. The, and he like, tells Jordan, apology. you know, I messed up. And from then on, Jordan says Rodman was as straight as an arrow. Mm. It was like he needed to find a boundary of behavior that went too far. And as soon as he found it, it helped him to focus on how he's supposed to to behave. Did you guys find that interesting where he comes back in with Jordan? Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't think he could do that. Why did you guys find that interesting? It reminded me of like in the first episode or two where it was like the guy talking about Jordan, he was like, Jordan can turn it on and off whenever he wants to, and he never turns it off. I feel like Rodman just turns it off or turns it off. And then, like, at that moment, he was like, All right, it's, I got to focus up. It's game time. And he turned it, he turned it all the way up, you know? Yeah. Every, you agree? Yeah. I feel like for Dennis Rodman, that, that was a big deal, at least for him, because I feel like he's not the type of person that actually owns up to his mistakes. So, like, I feel like that was a big deal for him to actually go in and say, yo, I messed up and I yeah. won't do it again. Oh, yeah. I, 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 that, I, and then follow that up by actually, actually not following through with what he said. Yeah. yeah, that was interesting. Well, I think the best part about that is that he clarified to, like, the camera crew that he's like, I did not say anything. I did not apologize. But that was my apology. Yeah. Like he did what, what I don't didn't, remember that. I don't no, remember they, that said, they said he did not apologize. Like Jordan said it and he said it. He's like, I didn't go in there and say sorry. I went by me going there. He was like, he's like, that was my apology. Like Jordan said, for him to come to me at all and not even talk about it, I knew it was his apology because he never does that. But for him to come to my room, I was like, that's his apology. Interesting. So like he just never hangs out with anyone, but yeah. then in that moment he does. That's so weird. He's so weird. <laughs> like, and I don't mean weird by like the, the color of hair. I just mean like nobody's why like is him. He the way- yeah. Yes. Why is he the way that he is? Okay. So anyways, let's keep going. They show Rodman getting drafted. The 1986 draft, two years after Jordan, Rodman out of Southeast Oklahoma State is the 27th pick to Detroit. He was part of the Detroit Bad Boys. Um, they said that Robin was pretty naive about the world, which is really interesting. Um, and he grew up in the projects, which is really different. It's a lot. It's really different from Pippin and Jordan, who seem to have this bond of growing up in kind of a rural slash suburban area. Um, and then he he gets to the NBA, and he can do a lot of different things. But he figures out early on he can rebound and play different defense. And I remember listening to Nick Collison one time, a KU forward, and. Nick Collison had like almost a 20 year NBA career. And he said, the NBA is about having one discernible skill. And then you find that skill that you can do in the NBA for any team and you develop that skill and you become elite at that skill. And then once you have that as like your go-to, then you begin developing all your other things. And it's interesting. Most players think points, 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 points. Rodman 
again, why, I don't know why, says, I know, rebounding and playing defense, I will develop these skills, become elite at them, and then I'll start to kind of score the ball a little bit later in his career. And that's exactly what he does. Who makes that move to say, I'm going to rebound and play defense? Like, do you know any players who, in any in any sport, defense is going to be my thing? Andre Drummond. Yeah. But Andre well, Drummond Drummond gets boards too. Yeah. He, he gets 20 and 20. Like, but who goes, who goes, I will never score. Never. You don't even have to give me the ball. All I will do is play defense and rebound. And I will be so happy with that. I who mean, is that? Draymond Green does that a little bit. Like, Draymond Green literally does everything for a team except score. Because he's a bum. That is true. Because he mainly he can't really I score. I hate but... Draymond Green with a passion. I don't like Draymond Green either. Draymond Green is the closest like thing to Dennis Rodman now. Jer- Draymond Green is the back of Walmart brand <laughs> version of Dennis Rodman. <laughs> the only reason you know his name is because of Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. And if you try uh, to he won a defensive player of the year award, but yeah, pretty much. I would. I think it's a whole bunch of overrated Bullark e. I think before Joel says something he regrets, like he did in the first time. Let's let's keep going. Yeah. Uh, So at this point, my man, my favorite, my favorite NBA, one of my favorite NBA players ever, Gary Payton, comes on the screen, and Gary Payton says this crazy thing. Hold on, I'm sorry. There we go. Gary Payton says this crazy thing. Oh, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, something happened there. Okay. Uh, Gary Payton says Rodman would change the game just by his presence. Like, Rodman on the court, he he said, would change the game just when he checked in. Like, everything about the game would would change. And it reminded me of uh, uh, who are these – well, who are these players who, when they're off the floor, when they're off the floor – Every everything changes, and when they come in, everything changes back. Have you ever played? And players who do this without scoring a point. The only pro- the only other player I can really think of that can is kind of like that. I remember Anthony Davis in college. He didn't really score a lot of points, but I mean, I remember him in the KU game in the KU national championship game. He scored, I think, two points, had seventeen rebounds and nine block shots, and. Ooh. He was the most like dynamic force on the floor, and he seriously—I think he hit one jumper. Like, who are? Do you? Can you guys think of any players like this? I mean, there's um, not a lot of players like that, but I mean, well, I—I I, I wouldn't put a name to them, but I would say like they're impact players. Like, you can't really—I mean, you could obviously yeah. find who they are, but you just know when you see them that they'll make an impact on the game that they're in. I think That's the good. like most modern example you can. Is like Spurs Kawhi, that video where it's LeBron on the Heat, and then he sees that Kawhi checks in and he like curses under his breath because he's like, "This dude's gonna clamp me up." Yeah, it, it, it is like Kawhi's hands yeah. in the way he plays in the mid range game. That's a good one. When he comes in the game, it just drastically changes the game where everyone else is shooting threes or dunking. Yeah, he plays so differently, it changes the entire. Also, game. I think that he is a person who could be the best player in the league undisputed if he wanted to, but he doesn't want to. Interesting. He, okay. He, I feel like he treats it like an actual like job that he like low-key doesn't want to be at. Because some games, you'll, when it's, it's like a crucial moment, he will come down and just score at will. But like the rest of the game, when he doesn't need to be scoring, he won't. 
I don't know. It just drives me crazy. Players yeah. like that drive me nuts. I'm like, why? You have all the talent in the world. Why don't you just like be the best player? Anyways. Yeah. Okay, let's keep going here. Uh, so they they start talking about the Pistons and the bad boys, the bad boy Pistons. And I, I thought this was interesting. I, I don't like the Pistons, um, mainly because I don't like Isaiah Thomas. I, in fact, Isaiah Thomas, other than Chris Paul, might be my least favorite NBA player of all time. I think Nobody Isaiah Thomas likes is the him. worst. <laughs> no one likes Isaiah Thomas. And Isaiah Thomas likes Isaiah Thomas and thinks Isaiah Thomas thinks he is Jerry, he is the logo. Like I think Isaiah Thomas in his own head thinks I'm the greatest NBA player that ever played. And he thinks he can do anything. And he has had GM job after GM job and ruined teams and coaches. He's coached, he's ruined teams. And all he's ever done is he won a national title with Indiana and he did some he did some stuff with the Pistons. And outside of that, the dude is terrible. I sorry, I just cannot stand Isaiah Thomas. Anyways, so they describe their goal as the Pistons was to endanger the careers of the league's star players, right? Yeah. What is that? What is that? Like, what kind of team embraces the role of endangering the league's career, the, the endangering the league's best players? Like, did, was that interesting to you? Did you like I, that? I loved it. No, get out of here, Joel. I'm I'm gonna be real with you. I think I don't like the fact that like they're saying like we want to injure them, but the fact that they like said we're gonna do whatever we need to to like stop their best player from scoring. I think that's like a step above Michael Jordan's like insane competitiveness. They're like we don't care, like we want to win more than you do, so we're gonna hurt you if you try to. <laughs> okay, it's- so I want to I want to ask Avery something because. It, it, Avery, you you're you have said you are a college basketball fan. That's yes. kind of what your focus is. Yeah. Now, a lot of things I I know about the NBA at this point in time, the physical nature of the NBA was was starting to go haywire. The Pistons have said, and I know that that um, Nolan Richardson at Arkansas, when he was at Arkansas, said he got this from the Pistons. Chuck Daly believed if you fouled every possession, if you every possession, if you if you fouled. The refs would not call every foul. They just won't do it because they don't want to ruin the game. And so you could get away with playing super, super physical because the refs won't call every foul. So they decided we're just going to play 40 minutes. And they, they called it 40 minutes of hell. And they would foul every single possession. The Pistons, this is, what they, this is what they essentially did. And the NBA decided this is not how we want our game to be played. And we're going to change the rules. And we're going to have this, this thing called freedom of movement where – if there's a foul, if and they had about a two three year stretch where they called every single foul and it was almost unwatchable, but they changed the game. College has never done this. Let I want to have a quick discussion about college basketball versus the NBA because this I think is the moment in the NBA that they changed the sport to where now the NBA I think personally is a better product than college because. They're actually playing basketball, not football. Now, Avery, you are a college basketball fan. You said, I like college basketball. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the physical nature of the game? And what are your thoughts on like the Pistons embracing, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to foul them every single time. Well, I feel like, I don't know. Fouling someone every single time. If the refs, I could see how, why they would do it if the refs didn't call every single foul because you could get away with some but if the refs did call it every single time then they wouldn't have done it 
Sure. But it also makes the game unwatchable. Yeah. Like you can't you can't just watch a game where there's just like people at the foul line constantly. Oh you know? no. Is it yeah. So d- does it bother you in college basketball that it's so physical or do you like that? Uh, it depends on the team. <laughs> if it's it KU, you, it's you love KU, it. It's KU, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, there is that tribal thing in college basketball that is that the NBA doesn't necessarily have. But Nick, Joel, what are your thoughts on that? I think a team like the Pistons would never last in college, ever. It, it wouldn't happen. You don't do that in college because it's it's run down foul, run down foul, run down foul, run down foul. Fast break, shoot a three, foul. Like it, I don't, I don't think a team like that could happen. It just doesn't. You do, you, college is so different in the way that they play from the NBA. It means a lot yeah. more smooth, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Joel, what are your thoughts? Uh, I would, I would hate to play against the Pistons just because, like, that'd be super annoying. But at the same time, I feel like I, I don't, I can't name really like one rivalry in the nba right now where like i know everyone on that court is gonna hate each other you know like the fact that jordan hates isaiah thomas and the pistons to this day like that's <laughs> the kind of rivalries like i want to see like it, okay well it, l- l- let me let me have the counterpoint then you don't think lebron and kd like each other or you don't think they hate each other oh i'm sure they don't like each other but it's not like they're vocal about it or it's not like they like foul each other like i don't know it just doesn't seem like as intense of rivalries without that certain physicality you know well I that's just that. me i kind of just want to see a fight but you know it's what <laughs> well you mean like the malice in the palace pistons pacers that was sick that's not sick that was crazy dangerous i know it was but it was it's cool. It was wild to see. I remember, uh, actually, I remember, side note, I remember laying in bed, like, right, because we had a TV, I had a TV in my room in high school, and I would watch Sports Center right before I go to bed. And I remember that happening. And I didn't see it live. I just saw Sports Center break in, and uh, it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. I had never seen anything like Do you guys know what I'm talking about, Nick? Yeah. Robin yeah, Pest. I know what you're talking about. Okay. That is is insane. Okay, let's keep going. We're get, we're getting sidetracked. Oh, we gotta we gotta get moving here. Oh, I gotta say one more thing about that. Yeah, I saw a clip it. on Twitter of Pippin getting like elbowed in the head by like one of the Pistons, and he's like laying on the ground, and the ref dragged him off the side of the court to get out of the way of the rest of the play, and he didn't call <laughs> a foul, but he dragged him off the court. That's hilarious. That's awesome. Uh, okay, so uh, at this point, they introduced Doug Collins as the as the young upstart coach in the '87 season, and uh, there's a scene: Doug Collins and Jordan kiss cheeks. Uh, we need to discuss this. Awesome or weird? Awesome. Awesome. Why? I, because it just shows how tight they are, bro. Like they're I, so tight. Just they're it's just not, kissing yeah. cheeks. It's not like supposed to be like taken literally it's just it's just a funny thing to get back at the media like yeah we're tight i, I know but we're it was a, we're better it would have been lebron fine. and eric spolstra just like <laughs> i would die laughing on. i would die laughing <laughs> if i saw lebron kiss any guy on the cheek i would die <laughs> laughing i if like if like bill self was like hey uh Devontae graham come here no that, that, that'd be awesome so funny that'd be funny it's not it's awesome or weird it's just funny okay it's funny i thought it was like super awkward like it it was kind of weird like i felt yeah. like there was a certain awkwardness between the two when it happened i don't know 
I don't think Jordan was all in. I think Jordan was like, yeah. is, what is this guy doing? Like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Anyways, so uh, they get to this spot, 1987. Um, at this point, Jordan is the best player in the NBA. They make it to the playoffs again. Uh, the year before, remember, Jordan has that breakout against the Celtics, but they lose in like, they get swept four games. And everyone's like, oh, you know, the Bulls team is not super tight yet. They don't have a, it's just Jordan. Well, 87 comes around. Uh, it's Cavs game five. And you, you and everyone thought Cavs would win the series because the Bulls at this time, it's crazy to think about, but they were known for blowing leads. That the, the Bulls were known for the almost the opposite of what they were known for in the 90s. Excuse me. So they... They come along, and at, at this point, there's that. It, it made me think about um, kind of the narrative around the Chiefs. And for, for us in Kansas City, the Chiefs were are known, well-known, for blowing playoff leads, having a great regular season, getting into the playoffs, and just, just falling apart. And Pat Mahomes comes in, and Pat Mahomes is now, hands down, the maybe the best player in the NFL. I mean, I certainly top three sure. player in the NFL. Yeah. And, but there is that moment with great players, especially young, great players where you have to not only perform with numbers, right? You have to also in some way lead a team, but then you also have to lead the entire franchise almost as a, as a great player. You almost have to lead the entire city, the entire fan base to in some way begin to believe, right? To believe that we are winners, that we can win this game. And what, whether it's the Chiefs or even it was the Royals, I remember I, up until the Royals went to the first World Series, every game, you guys, I was like, we, how are we here? We're not, supposed to, we're not supposed to be winning. Like, I just could not get my mindset out of the, the loss. And in, this, in that, when Mahomes loses to Brady in the playoffs, you did get this sense of like, they're going to be back. They're going to be back, right? Yeah. Then yeah. the next year, they played the Texans. They go down, what was the score, Nick? 24-3. 24-3. to And you think every – I remember texting my friends, the, this is the Chiefs. This is this is the Chiefs. I texted and, you, Cole. I remember Yeah, you, I, you might, you might be – and I, I had one of my buddies go, yeah, but we have Mahomes. And me thinking, how great is this guy? Like, because I don't really watch a lot of the NFL. Like, how great is this guy actually? And to dig out of that hole and to like watch then the sideline audio of him being like one play at a time, one play at a time, you begin to realize this dude, this dude has greatness in him. This dude actually can not only lead a team, not only put up numbers, he can lead a franchise. And it's incredible. And Jordan at this moment in the Cavs, he does this. He actually overcomes this giant uh, vibe of a city. So my question is, what is that? What is that thing that like, it's like this atmosphere of losing. How would you guys describe that? The atmosphere of losing or the type of player? Yeah, how, that would, you, how would you guys describe that? It's like, it's almost like momentum. It's something where some team that no one believes that they can win. And to be great, you kind of have to overcome not only, you know, the opponent, but even your own fans' belief that you're going to lose the game. Does that I, make I, sense? Yeah, I genuinely think that, like, we understand more than anybody being Kansas City, like, team fans. Like, the Royals were that way and the Chiefs were that way yeah. for so long. 
and the Royals are back to that way, but it's okay. We'll talk about that some. But would you say, even though with the Royals, the idea that they will never make it to the World Series, that you, yeah, that's kind of gone. That you're like, well, we're bad right now, but we can rebuild. Yeah, we did it. We did it once. We can do it again. Yeah. That's great. Who who would you say did that for the Royals? Uh, whoever had the idea of bringing up Hosmer and Dayton uh, Moore. Yeah, was it Dayton bringing Moore? up. Say, yeah. would you say, what player would you say was the leader of those teams? Was it because it, it wasn't really Gordon? Mm-mm. Oh, definitely not. Gordon is no. overrated. Was it Wade Davis? I I was gonna say it was either Wade Davis or who was the closer? Holland, Greg Holland. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was electric. Dude, that, our bullpen, man. Holy cow. Anyways, yeah. all right, let's keep going. So then they end up winning the game against the Cavs. They have that crazy scene, that image of Jordan jumping, and he looks like he kicks over Craig Elo, right? But he doesn't actually do it. But for whatever reason, it looks like Craig Elo just goes <laughs> flying into the first row, which is so funny. And then they face the Pistons, and this is this is what kind of takes over the entire series is the Pistons and the Bulls, become they become – massive enemies and the bulls they end up losing that first series because straight up they just weren't strong enough i mean the pistons they just beat them up i mean this is what they did they just they took they took they had the jordan rules and they did the hack-a-shack thing where they're like just take him out of the game right and john sally has that great quote he says how he they wanted the bulls they wanted to ask the the bulls the question how bad do you want this we are going to beat you up how bad do you want it right and uh, that they, they they end up losing or whatever, and you know that, that that that's that happens, but something weird happens not only for the Bulls but for the NBA at large, and I think this gets back to the LeBron Jordan discussion. The Bulls as a team decide to embrace weight weight training, and you guys, I, I saw this on Twitter later. Teams in the NBA had not embraced weight training like the Bulls did after the Pistons. And I want to circle back to when they finally do beat the Pistons. The highlights in that series, you guys, it looked like it looked like they were running circles around the Pistons. Did you notice this? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And the scores. Did you see the scores? They were beating them by like 20. Yeah. Yes. And so it, this goes back to my question. <laughs> in the 90s, when weight training finally becomes a thing, and they they realize we can bulk these guys up and keep their speed and, and and enhance their athleticism. It made the Pistons and the, almost the Celtics and those old teams and Magic Johnson. It made them look fat. I don't mean like that in a bad way. I mean like they the the Bulls look like thoroughbreds, and all of these other old NBA players look like kind of churchly dad bods. Am I wrong? No, that's the definition of Larry yeah. Bird. That's why I say that LeBron could go back there and absolutely murder people you know does this does this point towards lebron is that is actually not only the mo- one of the best players ever physically the most dominant player oh, yeah. in the history of the nba i uh, i wouldn't say physically the most dominant but the physically like most athletic because like if you're gonna say physically like most dominant i think of shaq just because shaq was yeah, like a monster but i would say like lebron is like that though you know uh, what do you, what else nick everybody guys think about the weight training thing i think it changed 
all sports when when you add weights to sports it, there's nothing but good that can come out of it honestly like in the long run because weights just intensify the things that you've already developed it makes you stronger and faster and be able to jump higher and all that things so like yeah. it just changed it for the better yeah <laughs> it it did feel like you're watching especially there's a few moments in the NBA where this happens where the culture changes and you can tell you're watching the future play the past and that Pistons Bulls series watching the highlights of that you're just I'm just like this is the future playing the past this is there is a there is a shift here in how you think about the game there is the athletic thoroughbreds playing this triangle offense and then there are these big dad bods running around trying to hit jump shots like it just seems so backwards I don't know it just really struck me any thoughts uh I like immediately when that part started happening in the document or document documentary uh i immediately thought of like the rocky balboa music playing and it's like the training sequence you know like yeah. the eye of the tiger starts playing and they're like we're bulking up you know we're gonna go oh, yeah, beat yeah, this yeah. guy that was the immediate thought when it hit my head i don't it's, know i mean the focus is crazy so i i also want to eventually um, a few things as we kind of move into episode four. Rodman brings a shotgun, is a rifle, is that right? To, to the palace. Yeah, he is bring, that what I heard? He brings it somewhere. I just know he fell asleep in a car with a gun, and he forgot about it, and then the cops pulled him over. Oh yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? What is going on with Rodman? Okay. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't <laughs> clarify that part. If he was like gonna kill someone or kill himself, yeah. he went to the stadium with a gun and fell asleep in the car. Like this is a pro athlete. I don't think he was trying to kill anybody because he fell asleep in a car. <laughs> I honestly, had it. I I think he might have been about to kill himself. Yeah. I wondered if he was gonna kill himself. Anyways, I did not know that story. That that freaked me out. Also, uh, when the Bulls finally do acquire Rodman, um, Jerry Krause is the one who does this. Again, Jerry Krause, is he one of the greatest GMs ever? Definitely Does not he get a, a nice bad rap? Game. No. Well, I mean, kind of. He gets a bad rap, but I also see why people hate him. It's all he is. He's Jordan. a sucky person. He, he is the villain of uh, Space Jam. Yes, he uh, is. Uh, I thought it was cool to see Rodman sitting there studying um, each guy, the paperwork, like he was studying the scouting reports, that blew my mind. The fact that Rodman's sitting there reading, and it blew my mind again. Rodman, Jordan says Rodman was one of the smartest guys I ever played with. Dennis, now Rodman, I know he's on drugs. Dennis Rodman is one of the smartest guys I ever played with. I I don't understand who Dennis Rodman is. Like I don't understand. No one. I don't, I don't get it. He wants you to not understand him, bro. No, there's one yeah. person who knows who Dennis Rodman is, and his name is Kim Jong Un. <laughs> That's true. He did. He did. He did visit North Korea, and he seems to be able to go in and out of there. I don't understand that. Also, I thought it was cool. Rodman gives that kid his shoes. Oh, that was yeah. that was so cool. That and Craig so cool. Sager, Craig Sager giving Rodman the 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 sideline reporter for like Turner gives him the money to pay for his fine. I yeah. thought that was dope. <laughs> 
That was cool. And also the secu- one of Jordan's security guards, the white guy over on the left who had the perm. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? That was amazing. <laughs> that dude. You know that guy's now like bald and he saw that and went, oh, that my kids are going to see this. Tricks. <laughs> that's hilarious that's so funny so then rodman does he he asks for a vacation and goes to vegas <laughs> he goes to vegas hangs out with carmen electra who in the 90s if you don't understand carmen electra was the like they got married there didn't they did they get married? That's what I heard. So, I, yeah, I heard. I heard that they got married and then divorced nine days later. Yeah, yeah. something like that. I did like the and then I did like the idea that the Bulls had to go get Rodman from Vegas to bring <laughs> him back. Yeah, they go to Vegas to get him. Jordan is the guy who goes in to get him, which I think is fascinating. Carmen Electra freaks out, hides behind that couch, covers herself up, and uh, Jordan. Jordan is like, get, you know, get your butt back to Chicago. Rodman comes back, shows up at practice, and is like locked in and is beating people in wind sprints. What the heck is up with Rodman? You just need to cut loose or something. My God. I think this would make an amazing movie. Basically, it. No, no one <laughs> would believe it. Joel, no one would believe this. Yeah. I love it. I, I, I just. What? How hard did Rodman work to for Jordan not to demand this guy to be cut? Like, how good was Rodman at what he did? That's true. That if anybody that else Jordan, would have done that, Jordan would have hated them. Yeah. Oh, they just cut him. Sneaker. Just cut him. It was like Bill Winnington. <laughs> if Bill Winnington was like, "Hey, I need to go to Vegas for a while," and then came back like with cocaine in his. Well, I don't know. Uh, apparently, I don't know if he did drugs, but it comes back with like tons of alcohol in the system. Does and hasn't slept for however many days. What? what 80 hours and then comes in and wins and wins sprints like if how hard did I, I don't know it just blows my mind rodman absolutely blows my mind i like how he showed up to the practice facility too and he was wearing slippers and pajamas yeah sweatpants. <laughs> he's in like and then they they said something to him and jordan's like yeah hey, take it easy on him take it easy on him he's he's not quite with us yet <laughs> I, I did i thought it was interesting that they immediately in episode four they moved to Phil Jackson as as Dennis Rodman's kind of spiritual father in some way uh, because Rodman seems to have these two minds right Rodman has this I want to be a part of the group but he also wants to be free and these two aspects of him are in deep tension right I want to be a part of the group I mean the reason he leaves to go to Vegas is because he was part of the group with Jordan and then when Pippen came he felt replaced. And that abandonment stuff, you know, it like activated him. And he's like, I got to get out of here for a while. Yeah. And so, and so like Phil comes in and is like Rodman's father. What did you guys think of Phil Jackson? How they kind of showed him as not just a coach, but a kind of mentor. What did you think about that? I think that's a lot of why they won as well as they did is he wasn't just the coach that tells him to go out and do the plays and stuff. He actually built relationships with them and made them believe like kind of a, even a father figure, a mentor, just for the maybe people like Rodman who are kind of struggling. Yeah, I I, I thought that was fa- I thought exactly Nick. I, th- I thought the exact same thing. Joel Avery. I feel like he understood Rodman. Like when they told Phil Jackson's backstory and how he like showed up to the like his first interview for the Bulls with like wearing like some hippie clothes or like some clothes mm-hmm. that you would not wear to an interview. 
I didn't think about that. Like Jerry Krause had to tell him how to dress for the next one. (laughs) It's like he just was out of place, wanting to belong, but also wanting to be free. I don't know. That I find that really compelling. Avery, your thoughts? Yeah, like he took the time to build relationships with them, so then they were more like in sync as a team. So that's I think why they won as much as they did. Yeah. So they they finally get to at the very end of episode four where um, they lose to the Pistons again. Jordan is crying on the bus. This galvanizes the team. They start the weight training, and Phil Phil Jackson. By the way, another Jerry Krause moment. They fire Doug Collins after making the playoffs, you guys, and then hired the assistant coach. And that assistant coach is Phil Jackson. You guys like again Jerry Krause genius move absolutely genius move is Jerry Krause. I think he's, I think he's insanely underrated and he gets a bad rap. Why did Jordan not like this dude? He made every move, every move that needed to be made. I think it was just because he made the moves Jordan didn't want. And so he he just needs somebody to blame it. Like what move other than like, we got to dump, we got to dump Phil and Scotty and keep Jordan and rebuild the team. Like he's, he was right. That's what they needed to do. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. Jordan know why. didn't want didn't want to change. That's you know, so they weird. had it's something so like that had never been done before, and for like Jerry Krause to come in and like try to change it again, which probably would have worked out in the long run because obviously the dude knows what he's doing. Jordan yeah. was like taking it as an insult, almost to like, do you not respect like what we did? You know. Sure. I mean, it just it blows my mind that Kraus just doesn't get more credit. But so we get to we get to the end here and I think I'm going to name this section where Jordan, you know, in 1990 when they just when they finally do beat the Pistons and especially when they win the and, and that that year that 91, wasn't it? They beat the Pistons and they yeah. get to the championship game. Yes. This is when Jordan learns something important about himself that He's the best player on the team, but Phil Jackson is trying to create a team. And he's trying to not just create a team. It seems as though he's trying to create a community. And he is asking Jordan to lead. And I think what this documentary is talking about in terms of leadership is really interesting. The things that Jordan had to learn in terms of leadership are really compelling. And I want want to get your guys' thoughts on this. And so Jordan begins to just work he decides i i know what we need to do and i'm gonna go first i'm gonna go first i'm gonna work as hard as i can i'm the best player on the team and i'm and horace grant has this line he says let's see if i can find it horace grant says um uh where is it i lost it he says something about he says something about when you see your best player right when you see your best player working that hard everyone around you starts to think, I don't know if I belong here, right? I don't know if I belong here. And you have a choice to make. Either you're out or you work as hard as your leader. What do you guys, what do you guys think about that in terms, of, in terms of leadership and the teams you've been on and the groups you've been in? When the best player works the hardest, how does that affect you? Or if you are the best player, how does that affect you? I feel like just... I don't even think you have to be like that great of a leader in like a social aspect 
to lead in a way of like being the hardest working like people followed by example you know like for him to like want to win that bad and for him to be the best automatically like puts the idea in their head like I got to be better so like we can be better you know yeah that's good Nick Avery I think when you see that the kind of the role model for the team when you see them work as hard as Jordan was working it it's strikes something inside of you that says man if he can if he wants to work that hard like there's a part of it where yes I want to work that hard but there's also a part of if I don't work that hard that dude's gonna kill me (laughs) yeah yeah exactly I mean if I don't work that hard either I'm out like Horace Grant says I'm out or I, I I gotta I gotta catch up yeah yeah Avery what do you think um, I think, like, if you're on a team and you see your best player, like, working that hard, then, like, you kind of, like, I have to work that hard, too, so I can stay on this team and, like, keep up with, like, yeah. the skill level. Yeah, and so Jordan goes, he does this, but then it says, specifically, Jordan, in, the, in one of the interviews said, realized, I'm going to make Pippen, I made Pippen my focal point. Jordan realized, I can't just do this alone. And so he goes to his number two. He finds like a number two dude and says, look, like you and I have to do this. You and I have to lead this team. And I'm wondering in terms of leadership, do you always need a number two? I I remember Clint Razor said this a lot. Anyone can have, anyone can lead, but you also have have to have somebody who follows you. So, you know, in some ways, sure. Some people are going to lead. You might even lead at some points in your life, but sometimes you need the, you need to be the first person to say, all right, I'm in. Like, what did you guys think about that? Uh, I thought it was it was good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true. That's pretty much. You need somebody. You can't just have a leader and no team to back them up. What do you? What, what are some like great number twos? Number twos that are like, I'm all in. This I, they're not necessarily seen as the leader, but without that number two, the the team doesn't win. I'm trying mm. to think, but I mean, if you look at all the teams, honestly, it's not that hard to identify the number two. You just look through back, back in the old teams that have won. Like for that Cavs team, I guess it was Kyrie. For the Warriors team, it was probably Clay. Like Clay team. is a Clay is the perfect number two. Yeah. yeah, the first guy to go. I'll give up mine for the sake of the team. And then go uh, and I'm break in. Steph Curry's three point record in three. Sweatband <laughs> Clay, bro. I hate how they took him out and didn't play him the fourth quarter. I was like, bro, you could have absolutely demolished that record. You could have had like 18. Yeah. All right, we got about 10 minutes. I want to f- finish this up. Uh, I I love the the when the Pistons fouled uh, Pippen. They sent it, it was Rodman actually, and you the camera zoomed in on Pippen's face, and he just didn't even. It, it reminded me of Kobe with the Matt Barnes thing, which I know has now come out to be kind of fake, but mm-hmm. like he didn't even budge. His focus was locked in, man. Like I thought that was really fascinating. Do you guys like that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Isaiah Thomas says, that's the first time I've ever been swept. I'm usually the one doing the sweeping. He's the worst. Isaiah Thomas <laughs> is the worst. And then Horace Grant, Horace Grant's quote straight up, and then he calls the Pistons yeah. a name. I thought that was hilarious. Uh-huh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, a few other things that I thought was pretty good. Um, the Scotty and Jerry Krause dancing on the plane. Jerry Krause dancing on the plane was hilarious <laughs> and awful at the same time. 
(laughs) (laughs) And finally, Phil Jackson's dad jeans. Awesome or weird? Weird, but awesome. I like it. Yeah. What is going on with Phil Jackson's body? It's just like, it's like part of different people attached together. Am it's I wrong? obtuse. That's it's how just I describe it. Weird. It is. That's good. That's good. All right. So, uh, I think that's about it. Uh, did I miss anything? Anything you guys wanted to mention? Let me think. Nope. I don't think. You don't think so? Okay. So oh, one uh, thing I thought yeah. was super interesting: Dennis Rodman knows how to ride motorcycles and has friends in motorcycle biker gangs. Yeah, that was weird. no one. Again. It was one scene, but no one talked about it ever. What, like not on Twitter or nothing. Deal? This dude like may be the most interesting person to ever touch the basketball court. Uh, it, he might be, and oh, I, I think that I think that every friend group, by the way, has that guy. I think every friend group has a guy that when you're doing the thing that your friend group's kind of built around, it's fun to hang out with them. But then when you guys go your separate ways. You don't really know what that person does in his personal or her in, in their personal time. Yeah, they're kind of like they're in the friend group, but you're you do kind of wonder like what does this person do when they're not hanging out with us? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Who like I don't know. Jacob Kapaska. I, I was gonna <laughs> say that. I was literally gonna say that. That's what you I don't think know. Of. Well, I can tell you what Jacob does. Well, yeah, because yeah. That but still a wild card. But yeah, the time in between him baking and playing a video game. Like, well, how does Jacob spend his time? <laughs> That's good. That's really good. Okay. So uh final thing. Uh we're gonna we're gonna keep going. Episodes five and six are coming up. We're over the halfway point uh next week. And um I uh just wanna remind you that. Uh, Jordan, at this point where we're at in the story is the Jazz have swept the Bulls in the regular season. And Jerry Krause does this weird thing. He releases the statement about the future of the Bulls before the biggest regular season game. And mm-hmm. my, my final question is, Jerry Krause, is this the moment? Is that the moment? Jerry, for you guys. What do you what do you think of Jerry Krause? Is he a good GM? What is happening? Because I'm trying to build the case. He's an incredible GM. It, how is somebody bungling this season so badly? Or is he right and the team is wrong? I think he's to be honest, I think he's right. You know? I I think Jordan got butt hurt and people hate Jerry Krause because Jordan is so idolized, you know. And no one, no one wants to take the side of the office, dudes. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's always power to the people. Yeah, exactly. Well, I remember last week Nick was saying the players over the over management. Yeah, I right? do too. I believe still, that. You believe that too. You have to trust. It's got to be a whole working thing because, like, no team ever gets good unless like there's making moves like in the offices, you know. But like, obviously, the team's the more important part. It's interesting. So. That's an interesting point. So it's not like who's to blame for the demise of the Bulls. Yeah. It's more when you stop trusting each other, everything falls apart. Exactly. Because Jordan's Bulls would have never come together if Jerry Krause didn't make those certain moves. I'm not saying they won because of Jerry Krause. I'm saying they won because they were all good players, but they got there because of Jerry Krause, and he knew that they would go good together. You know? Jerry Krause put them in a position to win. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, they did the hard work, but he was the one that saw they had the potential to do it. So it's a, it's a double thing, you know? Interesting. Like, it just orbits around each other. There's not exactly. one or the other. They just each orbit around the other. Yeah. That's yeah. Weird. All right, any last thoughts? Nope. No. <laughs> Avery, any last thoughts? No. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, well, that is it for episodes three and four of the last dance uh tv show where we're watching michael jordan and the 90 is it the 97 or 98 bulls i keep getting mixed it mixed up it's the 90 it's 97 98 yeah 97 98 bulls uh and how they had their last championship um it's been really good so far i think overall i think episodes three and four we've been a little i think we some of i think nick you even said you loved episodes three and four in fact as i you know as i'm going over my notes again I did love the stuff about Rodman. I don't know what it was. I think I was just on such a high of episodes one and two. Um, hopefully five and six um, really start building the narrative of this season. I know we've talked a little bit about them jumping around timelines. Hopefully they start to kind of focus in on the team in this final run. I'm still to this day, I just cannot wait to see the game where Jordan, quote, is sick. I really want to know what happens. And two... I am really interested in Jordan has said after this documentary, you're going to hate me. And I, and at this point I don't, I don't hate Jordan at all. In fact, I hated, hated Jordan before. And now I kind of actually like him a little bit. Like I actually really kind of respect him. And I'm wondering what is coming. That's going to make me quote, hate him. You know, like that's, I don't know what that is, but anyways, it's probably going to be that he wasn't actually sick in the flu game. I'm just saying, I don't think he was sick. (laughs) He was hungover, I'm telling you right now. All right, so let's end this, and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Peace. Hardaway lost it.